Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. The enemies of Christianity have many ways of attacking God's truth. One has been to spread the claim that the Bible is immoral because it condones slavery. Maybe you already know how to address this challenge. Maybe you don't. Today, we're going to address it and then turn the topic into a Bible study. What does the Bible actually say about slavery? What can we learn from the verses that talk about it? Let's find out together. I'm Jordan Pine. And I am Andy Baylog. Please open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 21, and get ready to join us for another 20-minute Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised, I worship you. A reading from Exodus 21 in the New Living Translation, beginning in verse 1. These are the regulations you must present to Israel. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he may serve for no more than six years. Set him free in the seventh year, and he will owe you nothing for his freedom. If he was single when he became your slave, he shall leave single. But if he was married before he became a slave, then his wife must be freed with him. If his master gave him a wife while he was a slave and they had sons or daughters, then only the man will be free in the seventh year, but his wife and children will still belong to his master. But the slave may declare, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I don't want to go free. If he does this, his master must present him before God. Then his master must take him to the door or doorpost and publicly pierce his ear with an awl. After that, the slave will serve his master for life. When a man sells his daughter as a slave, she will not be freed at the end of six years as the men are. If she does not satisfy her owner, he must allow her to be bought back again. But it is not allowed to sell her to foreigners, since he is the one who broke the contract with her. But if the slave's owner arranges for her to marry his son, he may no longer treat her as a slave, but as a daughter. If a man who has married a slave wife takes another wife for himself, he must not neglect the rights of the first wife to food, clothing, and sexual intimacy. If he fails in any of these three obligations, she may leave as a free woman without making any payment. That was Exodus 21 verses 1 to 11. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. In the opener, I mentioned that the enemies of Christianity use a slavery issue to attack the Bible. I find this to be a foolish line of attack for two main reasons. First of all, if you know your history, you know the people who ended slavery in America, people called abolitionists, were mostly Christians. Second, the Bible is the foundation of Western morality, So to say slavery is wrong is to say something that you only believe because of the Bible. To demonstrate how to use both of these points in defense of Christian beliefs, here's a recent exchange that I had on Twitter. An attacker wrote, The Bible is not the best source for morality because it allows certain immoral acts. A fellow Christian replied, You called the Bible immoral. By what standard is it immoral? And then I joined in writing, 
This is the question that those who call the Bible immoral can never answer. It's a self-defeating claim. The attacker replied to me, It's based on the standards of today. Modern societies do not condone slavery, but the Bible does. And I answered, Where do the standards of today come from? If the Bible condones slavery, how is it possible that the historical reason modern societies do not condone slavery is Bible-believing Christians? And I was referring, of course, to the abolitionists that we talked about earlier. And that's when the attacker changed the subject. Okay, but let's actually address the attacker's claim. Again, he claimed the Bible condones slavery. And we just heard a long passage that could be used to support his case. So what do we do? Well, of course, like always, we begin by going to space. Yes, space is an acronym that reminds us to identify the speaker, audience, and context of a Bible verse before attempting an explanation. We always put the S, P, A, and C before the E in order to avoid misinterpreting God's word. In Exodus, the speaker is God. Exodus 20, verse 1 says, Then God gave the people all these instructions, and what came first were the Ten Commandments. Later, at the end of the chapter, that precedes our scripture reading, it says, And the Lord said to Moses. So this is God speaking through Moses. And the audience is also very important. It's right there at the beginning of today's reading, which says, quote, These are the regulations you must present to Israel. When the enemies of Christianity attack with out-of-context verses from the Old Testament, I sometimes respond by asking, why do you think the laws of ancient Israel apply to today? I want to challenge their simple-minded belief that the Bible is some kind of instruction manual. Many have fallen into sloppy thinking, forgetting the Bible isn't a book, it's a library of books, and that library contains a history section that discusses ancient laws. These laws are only relevant to Christians today in the same way that Greek or Roman laws are relevant to Americans today. They inform our laws, but we do not live under those laws per se. We have to keep in mind they're written for a different people of a different culture at a completely different time in history. And as we'll see, we can't even compare Hebrew slavery to American slavery. They're not similar at all. As for the context, Listen carefully to what God says in Exodus 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Now, this is so important. When we read the word slavery in Exodus, it does not mean what the word means to us today. American slavery in the Old South was chattel slavery. Chattel means property, not land property, but rather something tangible that someone owns. Back then, slaves were viewed as property with no human rights, much like farm animals such as pigs or sheep or cattle. In fact, chattel sounds like cattle if you think about it, which makes it easier to remember the meaning. But when we read this word slavery in Exodus, it means something completely different. Right. It had to, because as we just saw, God had freed the Israelites from slavery. So it makes no sense that he would be reinstituting the practice of slavery among his own people. Remember, we're discussing the rules for Hebrew slaves here. Listen to what God says in Leviticus 25. Andy? If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and is forced to sell himself to you, 
Do not treat him as a slave. The people of Israel are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt, so they must never be sold as slaves. Show your fear of God by not treating them harshly. That's Leviticus chapter 25, verses 39, 42, and 43. So what was slavery in this context? These verses give us a clue. It was voluntary servitude for someone who was trying to survive poverty. In the languages of the Bible, Hebrew and Greek, the word could also be translated servant or bond servant. And now we're ready to get into an explanation of today's reading. Our guest reader today is our sound engineer, JP. Exodus chapter 21 verses 1 to 3. These are the regulations you must present to Israel. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he may serve for no more than six years. Set him free in the seventh year, and he will owe you nothing for his freedom. If he was single when he became your slave, he shall leave single. But if he was married before he became a slave, then his wife must be freed with him. So we can see already this is nothing like American slavery before the Civil War. You know, African slaves were certainly not set free after six years and with no debt. But in ancient Hebrew culture, they had this Sabbath year concept, the seventh year, when the land itself had a complete year of rest. As part of this year, all debts were canceled and Hebrew slaves were set free. In fact, let's check out what it says in Deuteronomy 15 about this. Andy? Give him, the former slave, a generous farewell gift from your flock, your threshing floor, and your winepress. Share with him some of the bounty with which the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I am giving you this command. Deuteronomy 15, 14 to 15. Exodus chapter 21, verses 4 to 6. If his master gave him a wife while he was a slave, and they had sons or daughters, then only the man will be free in the seventh year. But his wife and children will still belong to his master. But the slave may declare, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I don't want to go free. If he does this, his master must present him before God. Then his master must take him to the door or doorpost and publicly pierce his ear with an owl. After that, the slave will serve his master for life. You know, Jordan, verses 4 through 6 are kind of difficult to swallow at first reading. So to start, let's first consider that the Hebrew slave who worked for his Hebrew master back then was treated like part of the family. Why else would the master offer him a wife to start a life? Remember, back in those days, the Jewish culture was that wives were paid for with a dowry and also a wedding had to be paid for. In this instance, the master took care of those responsibilities. Eventually, if the married couple had children while in his master's household, 
those children were obviously thought of as his family as well. And based on the following verse, which says, if the slave declares, quote, he loves his master, wife, and children, then he had the choice to remain part of that family for the rest of his life. We would have to use common sense and conclude that the Hebrew master and the Hebrew slave's family all cared for each other. So keep in mind, this lifetime of servitude would have been voluntary by the slave. And to go to a deeper spiritual level, this arrangement portrays a beautiful type of how when we as Christians choose to submit to God as his bondservants, which should be a choice we keep for a lifetime, which should automatically include our wives and our children, knowing that God our Father will always provide all of our needs. Exodus chapter 21, verses 7 to 11. When a man sells his daughter as a slave, she will not be freed at the end of six years as the men are. If she does not satisfy her owner, he must allow her to be bought back again. But he is not allowed to sell her to foreigners, since he is the one who broke the contract with her. But if the slave's owner arranges for her to marry his son, he may no longer treat her as a slave, but as a daughter. If a man who has married a slave wife takes another wife for himself, he must not neglect the rights of the first wife to food, clothing, and sexual intimacy. If he fails in any of these three obligations, she may leave as a free woman without making any payment. Yeah, once again, the first part of this passage is hard to swallow. It sounds terrible to our modern ears. I mean, we can't even imagine fathers selling their daughters into slavery. But there are a few things to notice here. First, like all slavery at this time, this was paid service. They didn't have bank loans or welfare checks back then, and people regularly starved to death because of famine, misfortune, and so on. To survive, people sold their labor to the wealthy, and they were fed, clothed, and given shelter, made part of the family, as you said, Andy, in return. So here, we see money was exchanged at the beginning of the six-year term, and then given again when the master was allowed, to pur- was allowed to purchase the service of the female slave a second time. Number two, a master could not trade his servants like property. This is nothing like American chattel slavery, again, where no money was paid to the families of the slaves and they could be bought and sold like cattle. Third, we see the reason for the different standard with female slaves. You know, just be blunt about it, it was sex and marriage. It's critically important to take time and consider the sea and space and put yourself in this cultural context. This is a time of arranged marriages and, as you said, Andy, bride prices. It's nothing like our culture today. So the reality of this phrase, satisfy her owner, and the reality of the situation was female servants were often more than servants. They were wives of a different status. And this is why we see these rules coming into effect. You know, if the master was giving money to a family to gain himself a servant wife, he had to care for her and provide her with children as he would any wife. If he was giving money to gain a wife for his son, 
the law says he had to treat her like his own daughter. And if he failed to do those things, the deal was off and the female slave was set free without any further obligation. Okay, so now we've covered the most challenging passage in the Old Testament about slavery. But what about the New Testament? Let's challenge ourselves even further by quoting the Bible like the enemies of Christianity quote the Bible. Here are some of their favorite verses. Ephesians 6 verse 5, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Colossians 3.22 Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Titus chapter 2 verse 9 Slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back. Here we don't have the defense of saying, well, this was the Hebrew kind of slavery. Since these verses were written at a time of Roman slavery, which was much closer to American slavery. Per Wikipedia, quote, slaves were considered property under Roman law and had no legal personhood, end quote. So what can we say, Andy? These verses seem to support the practice of slavery. Well, Jordan, let's go a little deeper into these verses to see what the Bible teaches. The next few verses in Ephesians say, work as though you were working for the Lord. Because he will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Paul also admonishes masters to treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. And the same is found true in Colossians. To slaves, Paul writes, remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. To masters, he writes, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. And Titus begins with Paul calling himself a slave of God, and he often called himself a slave of Christ. The verse quoted cuts off. In full, the sentence reads, quote, they must not talk back or steal but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Why? Because then they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive in every way. End quote. Paul also says something interesting a few verses later. He says, we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. So we see Paul's heart was to recognize evil was happening in the world, but get everyone to turn their mind toward a higher purpose master, slaves, and so on. Finally, it was, of course, Paul who wrote in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 to 29, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Yes, we can imagine American slaves back during slavery rejoicing when they heard those words. I also want to mention Philemon and Onesimus, his runaway slave. Both Roman law and the Mosaic law of the Old Testament gave Philemon the right to punish a runaway slave. But Paul took time to write an entire letter to ask for mercy for Onesimus. In Philemon, which is preserved in the New Testament canon, 
he called this slave his son, and Philemon's brother in the Lord, and offered to pay any debts he might owe to his master. More to the point, let's not miss the kingdom message here. Whether slave or free, master or servant, the audience for these passages was exhorted to keep their eyes on the real prize. Let's review the key phrases from these verses again. Ephesians 6 says God will reward each one of us for the good we do. Colossians 3 says the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. And Galatians 3 says those of us who belong to Christ are the true children of Abraham. We are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to us. So what did God promise Abraham, Andy? We find it in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. God tells Abraham, Go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. The key part of that is the land. That's right, the promised land. And we know from studying prophecy that this promise, this land covenant, will only be fulfilled when Christ Jesus returns as King of Israel, King of kings, and ruler over all the earth for 1,000 years. That's also when faithful Christians, the co-heirs of this kingdom, will receive the inheritance and reward that Paul spoke about in Ephesians and Colossians. Amen. Yet it's so easy to forget this, isn't it? Today, Christians are richer and freer than ever before in history. In many ways, our poor live better than masters lived back in Bible times. No one has to sell himself or his children into slavery, even for six years, in order for his family to survive. Slavery was outlawed generations ago. All are free. Yet what does Paul say to the church? He says, you shouldn't think of yourselves as free. You should think of yourselves as slaves. He says to remember that all Christians are serving a master, and that master is Jesus Christ. Like an impoverished Hebrew, we were bought with the price, the very blood of Jesus Christ. He paid it all. All to him we owe. And our reward will be great if we live with this in mind and serve our master well. Amen. That's 20 minutes, and that's our lesson. Before we go, don't forget, we want to hear from you. We welcome your questions and comments, even if you don't agree with us. I mean, we prefer if you agree with us, but obviously, we're also interested in if you don't and hearing your um, Bible-backed reasons why. Feel free to just give us a call and leave a message. Our number is 908 If you ask a good question or make a good point, we may even put you on the show. Once again, our number is area code 908-271-6717. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Or you could visit our website at 20mbs.org. That's the number 20, followed by the letters M-B-S. Do you want to listen to this Bible study again? It's easy. Just go to 20mbs.org. That's the number 20, followed by the letters mbs.org. On the website, you can also subscribe and have these lessons automatically delivered to your inbox. Once again, that's 20mbs.org. 
Until next time, we leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple. Our music was recorded by the Abundant Life Worship Center. Our sound editor is J.P. Eli. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.